0: Hello and
1: welcome to the Friday, January 8th, 2020 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week, a failed coup attempt and the legislature returns. They're not the same. Well, not not necessarily. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. And with me today are Brett Hayworth of the Sioux City Journal. Good morning, Brett. Morning, James. Tom Barton of the Quad City Times. Good morning, Tom.
2: Good morning, James.
1: Aaron Murphy, Lee Newspaper Statehouse Bureau Chief. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, James. And Gazette Opinion Editor Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. You can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher or wherever you find your podcast. First up, a failed coup. The orderly transition of power hit a pothole Wednesday when thousands of Trumpistas descended on Washington to show their support for the Supreme Ruler and a disdain for the democratic process. Orange Kool-Aid was served. The coup, if that's what they intended, failed. In the end, it seemed to have the opposite effect. Some members of Congress who had planned to object to the results of the Democratic elections that have been vetted by election officials and courts decided, after hiding under their desks, to support the certification of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris as the next president and vice president. All's well that ends well, right, Todd? Uh,
3: Well, not exactly. You know what we've seen since is a lot of questions raised about why the the capital was so lightly defended by the Capitol police, and and why in the summer when there were Black Lives Matter protests, the the Capitol area looked like an armed camp, armed military camp, and and uh, but when these uh, angry white guys stormed up the steps and broke windows and crashed their way in, it didn't seem like there was as much resistance to what they were. Trying to uh, accomplish, and that was take over the Capitol, which seems like a fairly serious, uh, serious uh, offense. So there are those questions. There's, uh, you know, since then, obviously the president spoke to these folks before they went to the Capitol, and he basically told them to go to the Capitol and 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 gave his usual shtick about how the election had been stolen from him and Congress was now going to be an accomplice in that theft. And you should go up there and, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, do what you need to do. And so they did. And uh, and now there are people calling for the president to be removed, for him to resign, impeached. He's only got about, you know, what, 12 days now left in office, but that display made people wonder what could happen next. And Uh, his advisors finally got him to come out and say that, you know, he, the new administration would be, would be coming on. He didn't really concede. He just sort of grudgingly finally accepted reality. So yeah, I think the implications of this are, you know, still happening yet to be seen. Uh, How much damage did it do to the Republican party that has sort of coddled Trump for four years and, and that coddling by, you know, anyone's, objective analysis led led us to the to the wednesday you know sacking of our capital and violence and and people died so that's uh i, I don't think we're, we've yet figured out where this is going to lead american politics but i think it was a you know a very bad day for republicans especially those that had planned to to join the the effort to pretend that the election wasn't free and fair
0: Thinking enabling is a
3: good word. Right enabling, there. yeah, exactly. That's, yeah.
1: Um, in, in the end, Iowa's six member delegation, uh, five Republicans and a Democrat, voted to certify the results. Um, there didn't seem to be any question that Senator Chuck Grassley and Representatives Ashley Hinson, Marionette Miller Meeks, and Sydney Axney would support the certification. Joni Ernst uh, only said prior to the vote that she was hearing from Islands and would carefully consider her decision. So we don't know what her plans were before the mob invaded the Capitol. Um, Brett, uh, Randy Feenstra seemed to be one of those who, it appeared um, that he was willing to side with those calling for an investigation of voting irregularities. Uh, Did the mob change his mind?
4: no um he still um, in his release that he put out that um, I guess it was late that evening Wednesday night <clears throat> um, he of course spoke against you know the, the violence that was happening and you know said things need to calm down and you know we need to be better than this but then <clears throat> he did add um, onto that that he um, does want that investigation to happen um, cited how there's um, sorry I want to look at the email that he wants um, to improve trust in election systems, such as implementing strict voter ID laws like we have here in Iowa. That's why I signed on to a letter with my freshman colleagues urging house leadership to take action and support the integrity of our um, election process. And I did wanna say that. Um, so yesterday um, we had the journal, several of us reporters work cooperatively to um, talk to a whole host of people that are um, political, politically affiliated or just kind of um, uh, city Metro leaders for like how we move, basically the question we asked them was how we move forward. And several of them were bringing up this, this issue of election um, election integrity. So I think that's definitely gonna be an issue that's, that's still top of mind for especially Republicans that, cause there was just so much that was said, you know, by Trump, you know, going way back to summer about mail-in ballots and then, you know, all the way up through the election and that is now still after and um, I our question was you know how do we move forward and and these people you know the way they took uh, that could be answered in you know how many however many different ways you know depending on you know know, your view on that but um that that this is a lasting thing that that for a lot of people election integrity it really is called into question and they highly highly question that you know that that there are the safeguards that need to be there
1: Which is really interesting considering how, uh, I mean, how many of these election results have been vetted by the courts and there have been recounts and audits and everything else, but uh, uh, people- Yeah, I saw Chuck
4: Chuck Grassley had a release out. I think it came from his um, campaign site. If I remember an email, I think I saw this morning, um, but he cited how, I think he said, unfortunately, 38 of these um, court cases didn't make it. Mm -hmm. But I think the way he worded it was not, Quite right, because I think there, you know, thirty-eight of those were thrown out. It, it wasn't like they d- didn't make it. It was like they were basically dismissed at you know on almost ceremon- you know, unceremoniously right off the bat, you know, before they even got into a full hearing. So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. It, the 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 parsing of words is is very interesting uh, in, in some of these statements coming out of, of um, elected officials and, and uh, party officials. Um, Tom, uh, um, Eastern Iowa Congresswomen, uh, it, and I, before I, I go to you, Tom, I just want to point out that R- Randy Feenstra did uh, vote to certify the election results in the end, uh, despite some right. sort of um, uncertainty before that. Um, Tom, uh, Eastern Iowa Congresswomen, uh, Ashley Hinson and Marionette Miller Meeks, both freshmen, uh, stated earlier in the week that they didn't believe Congress had constitutional authority to overturn the results, state election results. However, both seemed like uh, we were just talking about Grassley uh, gave credence to the claims of voting irregularities around the country. Were they trying to have it both ways, uh, being right constitutionally while at the same time uh, being right politically uh, in terms of their parties?
2: Yeah, that, that definitely uh, seems to be uh, the case. And, uh, you know, Marionette uh, Miller-Meeks, um, you know, largely echoed what, um, what Randy Feenstra had to say, you know, she continued uh, to, um, to echo um, that uh, there are, that there was fraud and that uh, there is irregularities um, in the voting that uh, needs to be investigated. Um, you know, she you know, did her best uh, yesterday to try and dodge her party and the president's culpability in the the storming of the Capitol yesterday, um, while uh, Chuck Grassley and Joni Ernst said that uh, Trump displayed poor leadership and and bears some responsibility for for the violent siege at the the U.S. Capitol. Um, But um, so Miller makes you join Congress provisionally this week while her election is being contested. You know, continued to to condemn uh, the mob violence, but again, um, echoed the the president's claims of fraud in the election without offering evidence and and said that uh, there's plenty of blame to go around to all of us and uh, suggested that if Democrats weren't blamed or held accountable for summer violence tied to racial injustices that uh, Trump and Republicans shouldn't be blamed for, for the um, Capitol riot and um, uh, also said Thursday that she thinks that uh, Trump should finish out um, his term saying that uh, removing him uh, wouldn't help heal our nation. And that quote, to go through another impeachment process I think would create a bigger wedge and divide our country, she said. Um, went on to say that it's time for compassion, it's time for understanding. But yeah, I mean, in the end, um, she did objects um, or excuse, re- reject um, objections challenging. Um, Joe Biden's um, Electoral College victory, saying that um, constitutionally, um, Congress didn't have the authority to overturn um, state election results. So it, it, it seems like, yeah, she's trying to have it both ways, support a peaceful transition of power, condemn the violence while not alienating her base and um, you know still Trying to argue that um, that you know there are legitimate questions out there about election integrity um, that need to be um, properly heard and investigated. Again, despite the fact that, um, as as Brett said, a lot of these challenges were unceremoniously thrown out or roundly rejected by the courts for lack of evidence um, and merit. Um,
1: But, uh, yeah. um. All the rhetoric wasn't coming from Congress. Um, We saw some testy, sharply worded exchanges between Republican Party of Iowa Chairman Jeff Kaufman and the Iowa Democratic Party over who is responsible for this. And um, Trump carried Iowa. And folks like Hinton, Miller, Meeks, Ernst, and GOP legislative candidates probably owe some part of their success, to his uh, coattails. Um, Kaufman, you know, condemned the violence. Um, but will the party denounce Trump and his role in this?
0: They have not yet. So I don't know if they haven't in these past, what's it been, 48 hours, five years, whatever it's been since Wednesday. Um, if they haven't yet, I don't know why they all of a sudden would. Uh, so I don't expect that the the um, the plan the strategy seems to be, uh, and we heard Governor Kim Reynolds say this this week uh, when she was asked about it. Um, the plan seems to be to suggest that it was an ugly thing, um, but we all need to move on from it and not try and point fingers or place blame. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna remember that if I'm ever uh you know caught uh robbing a bank or, or cheating on my wife or something i'm 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 just gonna say hey let, let's not let's not point fingers and place blame here let's i think it would be better for all of us if we just move on and uh and 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 forget about it and and, and try to come together now um
3: i don't <laughs> <I> mean, know okay, <laughs> i mean let's I be honest
0: there are good people
1: on all
3: sides. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I don't people.
0: think it's going to be quite that simple. There, there's, um, there's a, I uh, I think a reckoning that's coming, uh, with the end of this presidency. And, and I do think it needs to be discussed, um, in, in our public square and in our politics, um, and maybe even in our uh, weekend political columns, hint hint. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, 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 th- I think for those folks, and, and there are plenty of them here in Iowa who have supported this president over the past four years, uh, sometimes uh, vociferously and, and with great bombast, um, uh, they, they want to, they're hoping that uh, uh, the, finally the end of this protracted election drama and the pending uh, inauguration of Joe Biden, uh, it seems like they want to just kind of turn the page and, and uh, not look back. And, and, and I don't know that that's going to happen, nor do I know that that would be the healthiest thing.
1: Yeah, it, it's, it's interesting to me that uh, I recall back in, I think it would have been 1976, that uh, uh, the Minnesota Republican Party, in the wake of Watergate and Richard Nixon, changed the name of the party to the Independent Republican Party. I remember that people made a lot of fun of that saying it's like being agnostic Lutheran or something, you know, that you can't be independent and a Republican at the same time. But I find it hard to believe that any state Republican party will take that sort of a move, uh, you know, to sort of separate themselves from Trump um, in the wake of all this, but uh, it, it'll be interesting Um uh, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what happens to the Republican Party, because, you know, we're seeing people, you know, breaking. Jim Nussell the other day, a former Iowa congressman, just said, I'm no longer a Republican. Um, and, uh, you know, I think there are probably a lot of people who feel that way. And, uh, you know, you can go back to Election Day, and there apparently were a lot of re- former Republicans who felt that way uh, and just kind of bring themselves to vote for Donald Trump. Um, yeah,
0: well, and it's going to be, and this is a secondary concern to the um, health of our democracy, but it will be interesting in the in the coming years too for Republican elections because that base is still there, and as my inbox can attest, it's not going anywhere. Um, so those folks are still going to be there. Uh, they're going to be a factor, I would assume, in, in Republican primary elections in two years. So you have you have the elected class, quote unquote, for lack of better way of putting it, that's, that is trying to distance themselves from uh, the president, but you still have a segment of that voting base that, that's still very much there. So yeah. uh, it, it's gonna be interesting to see how that plays out within the party as well.
1: Well, in, in talking to congressional staffers uh, in, in Iowa, you know, the Iowa delegation's offices, um, they talked about in, intense pressure that they were getting, that the, the members of Congress were getting to object to the election results. And if you read the social media streams uh, you know of, of Miller Meeks and Hinson and, and these other folks, it's pretty clear there are people out there who believe the, the allegations of the election fraud and lies about the election being stolen from Trump. Um, they're already calling these people traitors, rhinos, uh, saying they'll never vote for them again. They're going to be one-term uh, members of Congress. Uh, so you're absolutely right. Uh, you know that that uh, Aaron that that base is still out there now if, if Trump leaves quietly uh, does all that die down uh, if Trump leaves quietly is a big question you know if he, you know if he decides to go to Scotland and play golf that's probably good for the democracy here uh, uh, but you know if he sticks around and, and announces he's going to run for president in 2024 or starts his own uh you know, cable right. news network or right. whatever, and and, and, just he, keep-
4: and he threw out. He's been throwing out like adjacent to us here in, in South Dakota, like prospect of primarying the people that would you know potentially right. would not have stood up for him, you know, at at the vote on the on this on Wednesday. You know, like yeah. hey, Christ, Christy, no, Christy, no, I'm the governor. She's going to run against you, John Thune. You know, like throwing that stuff out and stirring the pot that way.
1: Sure. So I I think there's a lot here that remains to be seen. Um, I guess I want to come back to you, Todd. You know, I asked you all's well that ends well. um, Is this the end Uh, or or is this just like the beginning of a new chapter here? And and I guess, where does it leave, um, you know, these Congress and especially these freshman congressmen and women, um, you know, can they move on?
3: Well, in a perfect world, it would leave them to consider whether, you know, wholeheartedly backing a dangerously unfit president was a good idea. Uh, it might leave them to wonder whether, you know, spouting lies to your base about voter fraud is the best way to to govern a country. We saw where that got us. And, you know, and, and they're, they've just joined the, the legislative branch of government. And, you know, we have to question what respect they have for it if they want to let let the executive branch go scot-free after it had ordered an attack on the legislative branch. I mean, that's pretty serious stuff to just sort of sweep under the rug, but I know they're gonna try to do it. I think what they'll actually do is try to find ways to re-ingratiate themselves to the mob, which is not gonna be, which is gonna be ugly. And, and of course, the kind of politics that we're we're used to. I, I wish this would have been a moment of reckoning, but I'm seeing what they're saying now after a couple of days, I'm not sure that that's going to happen. I mean, we're hearing the, the both sides have problems and there's still election irregularities, even though it's this garbage about election irregularities that drove those people into the Capitol Uh, and they're still spouting it. And it's, you know, and, and it's, you know, there there just doesn't seem to be any desire to sort of step back and say, what, you know, what have we done here? What what's happened? What have we done to the country it's just like let's just keep let's just do some damage control and hopefully get past it and you know hold our seats and and win at all costs just like we've tried to do you know during the trump years so it's sad that there's there hasn't been a lesson learned but i hope maybe there are some voters out there who maybe voted for trump or or supported him for various reasons who now realize that that was a bad idea and i think there probably are but you do have the the base that's still out there. I mean, obviously, I I think I got a four f bomb email today about an editorial we ran saying that the president needed to go now. So, yeah. The
0: one the one Tom and I got the other day was at least nice enough. We got the f bomb, but then it was signed off with "Have a great day" or something to that effect. So that that was <laughs> yeah. a, that was a nice one eighty nice. there at the end. To... Yeah, that's that's Iowa nice.
3: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's, that's, what it, that's what it passes for.
1: Exactly, exactly. Well, we're going to move on here and uh, put the pass behind us and look ahead uh, <laughs> at the Iowa legislature, which will convene Monday in Des Moines. Um, uh, not sure if there'll be any mobs there or not. Um, there, apparently, there will be no restrictions on who uh, can enter the Capitol as long as your temperature is in over uh, 98.6. Um, <laughs> Uh, hundreds of lawmakers, staffers, and lobbyists, and, and a few journalists will be gathering at the Capitol, despite the safety concerns, uh, and COVID concerns. Aaron, um, legislative leaders have announced protocols this week, uh, that are, I guess, are consistent with the philosophy, philosophy of the Republican Party, that is, take personal responsibility, as opposed to a communal responsibility, uh, What safety measures will be in place to protect all these folks there?
0: So I I will give the credit when it's due and they have tried to take some steps. Um, They've tried to do what they can in some ways to limit the number of people who will be working in the chamber, like some of their staff will work in other areas of the Capitol, if not other buildings altogether um, so they don't have uh, more people on the floor. Uh, they're trying to find the biggest rooms possible to operate in, in the Capitol when they have committee hearings uh, or hold those committee hearings on the floor itself when, when that's possible. Um, uh, bless their hearts to protect the media. They're kicking them off of the chamber floor and into the uh, uh, gallery. So um, that that warms your heart. Um, but uh, there are some 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 reasons. For some legitimate reasons for concern that you laid out there, uh, starting with a, the, there's not going to be any kind of cap on, and, and look, I get there's a there's a fine line that they had to thread here between, you know, you start to tell people that they can't come to the capital, well now you're in trouble uh, for not operating government in a transparent way. So I, so I get that 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 there there wasn't a, a maybe a perfect or or super easy solution here, uh, but from a public health standpoint, that's definitely concerning that. You know, just anyone can come to the Capitol and as many people as as want to, like you said, as long as they have the right temperature, um, which we know isn't a perfect predictor of whether a person has COVID. Um, Maybe the the most concerning things uh, to me were um, the lack of a face mask mandate, which again, just continues to fly in the face of um, all sense of reason. the the justification for that was, um, uh, you know, we can't enforce it, and and uh, if it, and we're going to leave that up to the individual. And and I, I think by now, ten or whatever months into this thing, we are now uh, that we've seen that those excuses don't hold water, and, and we've seen how effective uh, face mask policies can be, even if you don't enforce them. Um, um, just having the, the policy in place is can be effective. Um, and then the other one is uh, that if anyone who works at the Capitol um, has a confirmed case of COVID, they're not required to um, uh, acknowledge that or uh, the words escaping me here, then disclose. They're not re- required to disclose that, which again, citing privacy. Uh, reasons and, and again, the fact that they can't enforce it, which which I, go, I guess again is fair, you can put that policy in place, but you're still requiring the person, still needs the person to adhere to that policy. It just seems like the kind of thing that you should still have in place to, to, to just kind of signal to the folks that this is serious. We're taking it seriously. We want you to take it seriously. Um, the idea and, and look, and I presented this suggestion to Jack Whitford, Senate Majority Leader Jack Whitfer, and House Speaker Pat Grassley, and and they kind of pushed back at the notion. Uh, but, but look, the reality is you have created a situation where someone could have COVID and come to the Capitol and not tell anyone about it and walk around and not wearing a face mask. I mean, that that's the reality. You know, you can say, oh, no one, we don't believe anyone would actually do that. Um, <laughs> Okay, I hope you're right. Um, so there's so there are there's steps they've taken, but there's definitely some holes. Yeah,
1: it was interesting listening to uh, the legislative leaders this week talk about how they would strongly urge their caucus members to wear face masks and shields, and it, it kind of reminded me of that scene from, um, uh, god, the, what is it? Uh, the Jack Nicholson, uh, Tom Cruise, you good man. A few big yeah. men, yes, yes. Oh, where, I where still 70 strongly 70 object. More. I strongly object.
0: Oh you know? well, then.
1: <laughs> yes, I, I strongly urge my members. And you know that the reality is that some of those, you know some members will wear a face masks, but there are members of the Republican Caucus who are probably going to say like, I know this is really going to piss off Democrats that I don't wear a face mask. Absolutely. Or so a face mask, you know. Um, and and uh, it's just a you know, they, they can enforce a rule that says you must wear a tie in the Senate chamber, but they can't enforce a rule. Thank that you.
0: Says,
1: you must yep. wear a face mask. Uh, I mean, it just, it makes absolutely no sense.
0: Yep. But uh, also, also if, well, if, if that's their goal is to strongly recommend something, I have a suggestion that's very similar to a strong recommendation is a requirement.
3: Yeah. <laughs> well, I I think, you know, in order for them to be really fair about this, they should have had Tyson come in and and set up their safety system, and and maybe then we could also have a pool. to How many yeah. legislators <laughs> gonna get COVID? So I think that's
1: which which one will be first. Why protect uh, the
3: legislature more than that? You know, the average citizen, I guess. The average, exactly, average you know, worker on the meat line.
1: You know, and with sports betting in Iowa, <laughs> they get easily set up all sorts of uh, you know uh, on uh, who will, who will go down first, how many. Uh, you know, exactly. Yeah. I tell you, the funnel date might take on a whole new meaning this session. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Brett, Brett, getting serious here. Um, you've talked to a lot of legislators in your area, and, and I'm just curious whether there's any consensus among them about what should be done, what they will get done, um, or is it just a matter of being split along party lines as usual?
4: Um, it pretty much breaks down on party lines of, of the issues of what you would expect, but I want to kind of return to what the recent discussion there. Um, and first I, and I do want to say, I don't know. <clears throat> so we have between the house and Senate, we have 17 members that we cover. And I don't know how the star, stars align, but I got all 17 for this weekend. Story, wow. So, so uh, yeah, anyway, but I, I noticed at least three or four of the Republicans and I, I know Aaron wrote a story about this last week, but, um, um, Reference—they're referencing. So we asked their top two priorities is what we is how we did to frame this, James. And what they offered, uh, several, three of them or four of them offered was emergency power limitations. So they're basically talking to Kim Reynolds, um, who's a member of their same party. None of them mentioned her by name, but they talked about you know executive orders. And um, one of them, Zach Whiting. Um, up in far northwest Iowa, talked about wanting limits and balances, remedies for people, businesses, and churches. Quote affected by executive overreach. Concern about those executive powers. Um, and then um, Skylar Wheeler, a few others, uh, had similar wordings with that. So that's a very interesting dynamic where they're calling out, you know, the the person of the executive of their own party for, you know, all these things that you did. Um, and people will certainly debate whether it was enough or was, you know, whether it was or wasn't enough going back to May and how quickly some things came off and how th- things came back on and, you know, all that. But there are certainly, there are some people, uh, Republicans, who are want to talk about
0: that as an issue. Yeah, and that, and and to uh, add to that, we asked uh, Pat Grassley and Jack Whitford about that. This week, uh, knowing that um, they were getting those questions from within their caucus, and it, 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 to Brett's point, it's kind of an interesting dynamic because um, those two are clearly wanting to play nice with the governor, the uh, member of their own party, while also, you know, being receptive or responsive to the members of their caucus. But uh, if they're leaning one way or the other right now, I think it's safe to say, based on what we heard this week. Um, uh, there was a lot of praise for and deference to the governor and her um, handling of the pandemic from from Jack Whitford, Pat Grassley, I, and, and they both kind of said, you know, in the middle, while we're still going through the pandemic, we don't think that's the right time to, um, you know, be changing the process or rewriting laws. So I don't expect anything this session. Um, maybe next year with everything in the rearview mirror, they'll revisit that, uh, they said, but uh, it, it sounds like they're um, not excited about entertaining that kind of a proposal this year yeah and, and back to what just some of the things that
4: that were offered up um the thing for for like bipartisan type um issues broadband internet expansion was was raised by several people both republicans and democrats um education that you know as always is is a top thing for democrats um, and but the the difference with a Democrat would be um, how they approach education was, is to ensure sufficient funding. Whereas we have some Republicans who are talking about school choice and vouchers and that sort of thing. So, so those things will play out. Um, just a few others to throw out was um, taxes. Republicans talking about taxes um, and Republicans talking about a state constitutional amendment um, for abortion. Um, And then the last thing I wanna throw out, um, I just, I got a kick out of this. Um, Dennis Bush is a new uh, house representative from Cherokee, Iowa. And um, I had covered him, um, coincidentally, um, there was a crack up of one of the mental health regions up here uh, of of counties moving from county to county. And I I went and covered a couple of those meetings probably two years ago. And he was a county supervisor at that time. And he, so anyway, for his priorities, he talked about the mental health regions, and he just he has had a very the way he responded was just very, um. I, I guess grassroots and you know, uh, focus. I guess like a meat meat and potatoes type, you know, like a like a table type thing, like not not like the overarching thing that you know maybe not the platitudes that you might get, you know, the expected stuff. Like, so he had been seeing that he had seen the impact, and like you know, instead of saying property taxes or education, like. He wanted to focus on that and I, I just I thought that was very refreshing.
1: Interesting. Tom uh, are you getting any sense from folks in your area about you know whether they're um, what their priorities are are they other than what each party's priorities are um, anybody making any uh, significant claims to get something done?
2: yeah uh unfortunately <laughs> i've been um so preoccupied with um <laughs> following f- following up on 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 the the violence that happened at the capitol on wednesday and uh following the developments of you know what's going to happen with the second district congressional seat that um <laughs> I actually really haven't reached out to, yeah reached out to them to, to see what their priorities are um but um brett mentioned the broadband, um, I am working on an article uh, this weekend, and um, yeah, there is, um, you know, bipartisan support, both Republicans and Democrats in the legislature say that they plan to pay special focus on bridging the state's, you know, so-called digital divide, pushing forward um, additional funding and, and legislation to facilitate continued expansion of, of high-speed broadband internet access, you know, with more and more Iowans working from, in, working and learning from home and, and accessing medical care online. Um, and um, House Speaker um, Pat Grassley did set up um, a new House um, IT committee um, to specifically look at um, issues related to broadband, but, you know, information technology in general, but, but with the, the, the big focus there on broadband. And we did see a big focus um, uh, from the governor um, last year, last session, um, in her proposed budget. Um, I can't remember the exact funding amount that she she pushed forward, but, you know, she was asking for was it. Okay. Anyway, she was asking for um, for a lot of funding for broadband last year and expected to do so again uh, this year and and to be part um, of her um, condition of the state address probably is what legislators are telling me.
1: Great. Thanks. Um, Todd, as a legislature meets in a pandemic and at the start of a campaign cycle uh, that includes a race for governor. Should uh, Iowans be optimistic?
3: Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it depends on where you're at. I mean, if you're a Republican, you can be optimistic about this legislative session because you control everything and they'll be able to do whatever they want. If you're out, outside of the Republican party, it's probably gonna be another legislative session where uh, you're, you're slapping your face a lot, you know, just sort of smack my head kind of session. Why are they doing this? Why is this a problem?
1: We've no, seen business as years.
3: usual. Yeah, business, business as usual. Sad trombone.
1: All right. <laughs> well, that's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. I hope it was worth your time. If you liked it, tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you find your podcast. Fan mail may be sent to podcast at thegazette.com, and you can find us on the homepages of the Quad City Time, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. For Brett, Tom, Aaron, Todd, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening, and stay well.